All right, so we've got, we've got a brand new focus for, uh, for Sunday mornings. Um, we're going to be learning from a letter written to an ancient church. Uh, in your Bible, this letter is called Ephesians. And for reasons that are going to make, soon, uh, make sense uh, soon enough, um, Michael and Jeffrey um, are going to be handing out. I, I ordered some uh, retro 3D glasses for all of us. And uh, we lost our ushers. Where'd they go? Are they in the back? Yeah? Mina's got this, and yeah. Oh, hey, guys. All right, cool. Um, sorry, I gave them too many jobs at the same time, and it was not fair. That's my fault, guys. Um, so uh, I ordered retro 3D glasses, so everybody get your pair, and then uh, let's put those on. So, um, so here we go. The letter to Ephesians. Keep your glasses on. You should know that this letter that we're about to read, it was written to an ancient church that was birthed out of a citywide riot. And uh, so here's what, 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 what went down. Uh, the Apostle Paul, and there he is, all three, yeah, 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 okay, maybe a little 3D there. Okay, the Apostle Paul, he came to the city of Ephesus, and he stayed there for about two and a half years, and while he was there, uh, a whole bunch of people became Jesus followers, and as a result of hearing the good news about Jesus, many people, um, they broke with their obsession with magic and the occult, and because of Jesus, they felt uh, no need now to seek protection from the spirit world or to buy magic scrolls with protective uh, incantations or blessings or even curses against their enemies. And so they burnt those scrolls in the city square. Ooh, that one jumps out at me a little bit more. I don't, I don't know about you guys from where you're at. It's also a little weird with glasses underneath. I don't know if anybody else is having that experience. The 3D glasses effect is always tricky with that. But yeah, so they burnt the scrolls in the city square. Those scrolls were not cheap. Um, Luke, the author of uh, Acts 19, he tells us that the total of the magic scrolls was the equivalent of 50,000 days wages. So picture 136 years worth of paychecks. There was a lot of money being spent on magic in Ephesus. And the gospel broke in and it set people free. And so the gospel also broke people's obsession with the goddess uh, Diana or Artemis. And the city artisans, they made all of these different, um, they, they made all these different silver shrines and idols of Artemis or Diana that were used in, in worship. And people would take these home, have them in, in their home. But that was all part of the worship of this goddess who represented sexual fertility and prosperity and protection. Um, basically, money, sex, and power, it all converged in this one goddess. And, but as the, as, the, as the people became Jesus followers, sales of these idols began to fall, and some people started to notice. The, uh, the Ephesian uh, silversmith trade guild uh, that made these idols, they, they, they were furious. They were terrified about what was happening in their city as idol sales began to fall, and they started a citywide riot. Luke writes this, Ooh, that one I'm really experiencing. I don't know about you guys. As the, I feel like I'm in the top row of the amphitheater right now. Okay, at least it works for one image. I don't know about the other ones for you, but this one, ooh, all right. I'm very happy with that one. Um, so this, this, is what, this is what Luke says. Picture yourself uh, inside or outside that, this amphitheater. Luke uh, says, the people were furious, and they begin shouting, great is Artemis of the Ephesians. And soon the whole city was in an uproar. The people seized Paul's traveling companions, and all of them rushed into the theater together. This is the theater. And Paul, he wanted to appear before the crowd, but the disciples wouldn't let him. Even some of the officials of the province who were friends of Paul, they sent him a message begging him not to venture into the theater. 
if not for his friends holding him back. Paul was planning on going right into the theater to speak to this crowd that most likely wanted to kill him. You're looking at the Ephesian Amphitheater. Imagine 24,000 people packed into this theater. That's about like one-third of the seating for like an A's game. Feel the ground rumble and shake as people are working themselves into an angry frenzy. Hear, hear the thunder in the air as people are shouting again and again, great is Artemis of the Ephesians. Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. The people inside want to snuff out the message about Jesus. The people inside want Paul dead. And Paul, his friends have to hold him back because he wants to get in there. Now, is Paul crazy for wanting this? Is he, like a, is he a thrill seeker? Is he an adrenaline junkie? Like, is he, does he just make stupid risks all the time? Or does Paul know something that we don't? Does Paul see something that his friends don't see? Paul's friends, they saw nothing but death in store for Paul if he goes into this theater. But what does Paul see? Paul sees thousands of people who just needed a proper introduction to Jesus. He's like, 24,000 people right there? They're all gathered together? Get me in there. What did Paul see? How was Paul able to see things that other people couldn't see? When, when he met the risen Jesus, Paul was blinded by the brilliance of Jesus. And when his eyes were then healed later on, Paul began to see the world from a completely different perspective. Because of Jesus, Paul began to see that reality is not as it seems, that there's more going on than what we can see with our eyes. All right, I'll let you take off your 3D glasses now, and hopefully your headache goes away after a couple minutes. Uh, there's probably a, a, a mom or a woman near you with a purse, and she probably has some aspirin in there because there's all kinds of stuff in there if you need it. So, whew, all right. Um, but, but just keep these 3D glasses. These are for you, and, um, and, uh, and bring them next week because, you know, who knows? Maybe I'll find some other images that work a little better. But, um, but let's just look at these as, as a symbol for, the, for a moment. Paul writes his letter to the Ephesian church because he wants the first Christians to be able to see reality as it really is. And, and this letter that we're about to get into has the potential to help us see reality as it really is. Um, this is what Paul prays for us later in the letter. He says, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he's called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance and his holy people, and his incomparably great power for us who believe. Paul prays that God would give us fresh eyes, that we could see reality through, through an alternative lens. And the alternative lens that we're, we're about to see through is Jesus himself, the person of Jesus, but also the, the work and ministry of Jesus, everything that came as a result of, of his life and what he has done. Paul's gonna give us this Jesus lens, offering it to us so that we could see everything in a completely different light. Um, this morning and during worship, we were standing in the gap praying for different people in our lives, people that, that we care about, relationships where we're like, God, I don't know how they're doing, or I do know how they're doing, and, and my heart breaks for them, and I, I want to stand in the gap for them, and I want to I know, God, that there is, there is more going on 
in this circumstance with this person that I care about, that there's more going on than what I can just see with my eyes. God, for, for addiction, for divorce, for people who are struggling financially, all these things, God, let me not just see what's going on, but let me see, thing, see this from your perspective. Let me see that there's more. Let me see things from the perspective of Jesus. Now, so, so that's, that's what this letter is gonna give us, this fresh perspective. But, but more than just seeing with an alternative view, um, you know, you and I took these glasses off after a while, but it's, it's possible that this letter could draw us into this alternative way of seeing things, and it's possible that we could begin to live from that alternative perspective on what's going on, that, that on a regular basis, we would just know, ah, oh, there's, there's more going on than, than, what, than what can be seen. So Jesus, I'm trusting to see this from your perspective, through your eyes. Jesus, I, I trust that there's more if I see this from where you stand. Slowly but surely, uh, it's possible that we won't just see that things are different. We might actually believe they really are different because of Jesus, that we'll trust more than what we can see with our eyes. So, uh, so let's get into it. Um, everybody should have the text of Ephesians 1 through 14 on a paper at, on your seat, and you'll need a pen. And here's what I want to do. I want us to just get a sense for uh, th- this letter as it first starts and just this, this Jesus lens that, that, that Paul is giving to us. This text, Ephesians 1 through 14 that you have here, 1, 1 through 14, um, uh, Jesus is all over this, this passage. And what I want you to do is just circle or, or make marks anywhere that you see Paul offering the Jesus lens on reality. Um, so I'll, I'll read, and then you just circle, underline, highlight, exclamation mark, whatever, whatever helps you, okay? So here we go. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, to God's holy people in Ephesus, the faithful in Christ Jesus, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will to the praise of his glorious grace which he's freely given us in the one that he loves. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us. With all wisdom and understanding, he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ to be put into effect when the times reach their fulfillment, to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. In him we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will, in order that we, who were the first to put our hope in Christ, might be for the praise of his glory. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit, guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. All right, so hopefully you made some marks of things that stood out to you. Let's do this now. Let's get together with like two or three of our neighbors and everybody share just like at least one place where you saw the Jesus lens at work. Even if you're not totally sure what it means, you would just go, yeah, here's where, uh, here's a way I can see myself or things going on in the world through this Jesus lens. Even if I don't understand what it is, I see Paul saying this or this or this. All right, let's group up and, uh, and just share a couple answers. Ready? Go for it. So there's so much here. Um, I, I think I heard somebody over here uh, 
when you guys were looking for the Jesus lens, I heard, I heard somebody go, yeah, it's here and here and here and here and here and here. It's, it's just everywhere all over this passage. Um, you, you're, we're just getting a taste for how Paul sees everything in light of Jesus and who he is and what he's done. Um, if, uh, if you're taking notes, um, here's four phrases that can kind of categorize your notes. Um, Paul, Ephesus, Paul and Ephesus, and the opening greeting. So first of all, Paul, uh, who is he? Ephesus, what was life like in Ephesus? Paul and Ephesus, what's the, what's the connection between the two? And then this opening greeting, uh, just the first couple of verses. Uh, how does Paul set the stage for this gospel-shaped alternative way to see reality? So, first of all, Paul, who is he? Uh, Paul was born Saul in, in honor of Israel's first king. Um, he was born sometime after the birth of Jesus, um, probably around like 5 uh, B.C., and um, born to uh, Jewish parents who happened to be Roman citizens, um, which means as, as a Roman citizen, he was born into privilege. But Paul would use this privilege uh, to help other people out so that the gospel could gain ground in, in different places to protect people, to protect other churches. He, he leveraged his privilege to help other people and protect them. He was born and raised in Tarsus, which is in modern-day Turkey. And Tarsus was, you see it there just above Syria, was, um, it was a university town, uh, a city of learning, um, not unlike uh, Oakland and the Berkeley area with plenty of um, colleges of our own and uh, the neighboring uh, UC Berkeley. Um, Tarsus was a multicultural, multiracial, multireligious city, all kinds of um, ideas and worldviews coming together, not unlike Oakland. And um, in the early years of the first century, uh, Tarsus had a population of about 500,000 people, not unlike Oakland, which has a population of about 425,000. Actually, 425, uh, 195 is the current, is the current uh, population right now. Here's, what, here's what's encouraging for me for that. Um, we're reading from somebody who understands urban life somebody who understands the challenges of, of urban, urban life and everything that comes with it. He's not out of touch with what life's like for, for you and me. And so then at some point, Paul's family moved to Jerusalem, um, or at least spent a long season there. While he was there, Paul, uh, Saul became a student of the great ra- uh, Rabbi um, Gamaliel. I don't, I'm not sure that I'm saying that right, but Gamaliel, you just, if you just come across any Bible words, if, you ever, if you're in a you know, Bible study setting or whatever, where you have to read a city name or a town or whatever, just say it with like 100% authority and just look at people like, yeah, I said it right. I dare you to challenge me. And they won't. They'll all back down and they'll be like, yeah, that's probably how you say it. I don't know. So just a little tip for you. Um, the, he, but so, so Gamaliel, he was the grandson of the great Rabbi Hillel, who was one of Judaism's most um, amazing, prominent thinkers and teachers. Saul rises to the top of the class. This guy just, God gave him a a really good brain. And he gained enough authority and influence in Jewish circles that when the early church community was starting to build up ahead of steam, uh, they were a huge threat. They started to get persecuted by the Jewish authorities. Saul was in a place of power to be able to cast a vote of judgment against them. Um, We see this in the story of Stephen, in the book of Acts, who was killed by stoning, and Saul cast a vote of judgment against Stephen. So here's, here's what's important to realize about, about Paul's background, his story. Um, before, before Saul encountered Jesus, Saul's response to the gospel was just absolute horror. 
He, he was not joyful about this. He was not welcoming of this. Just absolute horror and disgust. A crucified Messiah? Impossible. No way. Risen from the dead? Absolutely not. And the cross and the gospel was so problematic for Paul, for Saul, <laughs> um, that he tried to do everything that he could to, to stamp it out. And those who preached this, this heresy had to be destroyed. And so Saul was on a mission. And he was on his way to the city of Damascus uh, to keep doing what he had been doing, which was to arrest followers of the way. That was, a easy, that was an early way to describe Christians, that you are a follower of the way. And about noon, the story, as the story goes, there was a light that flashed around from, around, um, a, a light flashed from heaven all around Saul. And Saul heard a voice speaking, saying, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And Saul asked, who are you? Lord, who are you, sir? And the voice answered, I'm Jesus, whom you're persecuting. And in this encounter, Saul experiences grace. He had hated the name Jesus. He wanted to stamp out the name of Jesus forever. And yet, Jesus chose to love and partner with this man who uh, has been so opposed to him he said, I'm going to work through this guy to adva advance my gospel in the world. Once I get a hold of this guy and his life and his brain and his passion and all the things he knows how to do, once I turn this around and give him fresh eyes, I'm going to unleash him in the world and it's going to change everything. Paul experienced grace in this moment and, and he would never forget it. And so from that day on, Paul, Saul, he, his, his, his name switches from Saul to Paul, he, he becomes this Jesus-captured man. He becomes a Jesus-enthralled man, a Jesus-sent man. Um, that's, that's where, at the, the very beginning of what we read, Paul's title, he says, I'm an apostle. Uh, apostle means that you're a sent one. It means that you're somebody who's authorized and sent to speak the word of the person sending you. So if you represent the mayor's office, you're not the mayor yourself, but you're an apostle of the mayor's office. And whatever you're saying is representing where you're coming from. And so Saul, Paul, is an apostle of Jesus. And so because of grace, Paul, the terrorist, becomes the greatest interpreter of the mind of Jesus ever to live. That was, that's, that's Paul. Now let's talk about uh, life in Ephesus. At the, at the time that the gospel first came to Ephesus, it had a population of about 250,000 people. And again, so encouraging to me that the gospel and these first churches, life for them was urban reality. Other people and all the challenges of living in a city that's where the gospel took, first took root, and that's incredibly encouraging for me. Ephesus ranked only behind Athens and Rome in its grandeur. Um, you could go there today and still see just some amazing ruins and, and just get just the tiniest sense of how beautiful and incredible the city was. It was the largest trading center in the area. It linked the east and the west of the empire, being where it, it was placed in the world, and it received all kinds of people, um, as, as all kinds of people were passing through or even putting down roots there, all these different alternative readings of, of reality and worldviews were all coming together in this one place. Not unlike Oakland, which is the final destination for the railroads. We've got these massive shipping yards, and there are new people moving here every day, bringing their culture, their perspective. Even this place that we're in, this school is an international school for immigrant high school students, and these flags represent all the students that um, this, this school has hosted. Um, 
And so all kinds of worldviews and perspective, even just in this, in this space right here. Ephesus had this fabulous theater. We saw a picture of it earlier, but that, that theater could seat 24,000 people. And I've stood in this theater, and it was so acoustically engineered that the speaker could stand in place at the center stage, and they could simply whisper or just talk at a normal talking uh, voice volume, and everybody in the theater could hear you. No speakers, no microphones, just perfectly engineered in such a way that your voice goes up, to, up even to the top rafters. And I can just talk like this, no microphone needed, and you can hear me perfectly. Is that why Paul thought, get me in there? He's just like, this, this amazing space, 24,000 people, and they can all hear me at the same time? Yeah, get me in there. This, this city also had this, this massive temple, massive temple, dedicated to the goddess Artemis, if you're Greek, or if you're Roman, uh, you called her Diana. And archaeologists, they're not sure, they're not sure in, in, in images like this if she's being depicted with many breasts because in one sense she was the goddess of fertility and sexuality and you would, you would patronize her as the goddess of fertility and sexuality if you wanted that in your family, in your business, in different ways. Or they're not sure, possibly these are um, sacks of dark magical power that she carries around with her and that she would offer to people who want to have magical power uh, for, for your own benefit, even to curse your enemies. It's like these are her, her weapons that she's carrying on her that she can offer to people who worship her. We're not, we're not really sure which one it was. But her temple was massive, 275 feet wide, 420 feet long, 127 columns all the way around. Each of these columns are 60 feet high and 6 feet in diameter. It's larger than any modern football stadium that you could go to. This is the ancient world. This is before caterpillar construction crews and cranes. People would come here for miles just blown away at, what, at this, this engineering feat. It's the largest known building in, in antiquity. It was one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. Uh, life in Ephesus revolved around this temple. We're talking economics, sexuality, culture, everything centered around this temple. And I wonder if this is why Paul wants to talk in this letter later about us being the temple of God, if he's just calling out stuff that's in the culture of, of this church. Ephesus was uh, obsessed with the spirit world and with magic. People were always talking about spiritual power. The goddess Diana was thought to be one of the most powerful of all the, the deities that, that you could access and ask for help from. You would seek her protection to protect you from other spirits um, to, to bring curses down on your enemies. She was seen as extremely powerful, and if you had her in your back pocket, nobody could stand in your way. So this is why I wonder if Paul speaks so much in his letter. We're going to hear about principalities and powers. Is this why Paul's going to say our struggle's not against flesh and blood? It's, it's against the rulers and the powers and the world rulers of this darkness. Now, one more thing to know. Ephesus was proudly a center for the so-called um, imperial cult, where the, the Roman emperor was worshipped as a god among gods. Uh, very dangerous to do this in Rome itself. Uh, too, too many people close to that, that throne uh, for, for you to worship Caesar right there in Rome, but this was the glue that held the empire together everywhere else, that um, you would offer a pinch of incense to Caesar and pray to Caesar. Worshiping Caesar permeated every level of society. If you wanted to buy things, if you wanted to be in a trade guild, if you wanted to socialize with people or eat, there was that worship of, of, of uh, Caesar and other Roman gods that happened all over the place. 
So the city built another temple, and they dedicated that to Emperor Caesar Augustus, get this, son of God. Emperor Caesar Augustus, son of God. Caesar Augustus was being worshipped as the warrior god who had brought unity and order to the world in a way that had never been seen before. Everybody's just saying it's, it's, it's a new day. His rule was thought to be so significant with the Ephesian government that they decided to reset their calendar around the birth of Augustus. He was the start of a new era, so much so that the month of August comes from his name, Caesar Augustus. And it was claimed that Augustus had brought this, he had ended the, the, the time of suffering and he had, quote, restored a form of all things to usefulness. Um, the decree that went out about him spoke about him as savior and God. And get this, his birthday was, quote, the beginning of glad tidings for the world. Glad tidings. Uh, the Greek word is euangelion from where we get like evangelism or an evangelist. In, in English, uh, it gets translated as the word gospel. People believed the gospel of Augustus. They, brought, they believed that his rule had brought universal peace and prosperity. Does this sound like the description of anybody else that you know and love? Does this sound, maybe even especially at Christmas time, certain texts that we read to describe what's being announced in the world? So you can see why Paul is giving us this alternative view of reality, and he's grabbing from all kinds of stuff around him, and he's reworking it in light of who Jesus is. Those who come to faith in Jesus are going to come to a different understanding, a different gospel, a different understanding of power, a different understanding of authority, of unity, of relationships, and even time itself. All these things get changed in light of who Jesus is if we see things from his perspective. Okay, so that was Paul, Ephesus. Now, Paul and Ephesus. How do these two connect? Paul lived and he worked here on two different occasions. Uh, the first time, maybe like three months, and then the second time, about like two and a half years that he was, he was here in this city. And after this really violent encounter with uh, the Jewish synagogue leadership, Paul moved to a different location for teaching. Uh, he moved to the Hall of Tyrannus, and he was teaching people there, it says, every single day for two years. And after the gospel message started to affect the sales of silver statues of Artemis, one of these idol makers incited this citywide riot. And, and we read about that earlier. We heard about that. And here's what we need to remember. When the gospel breaks in, it's always going to mess with the idols that a city is built upon that Oakland's built upon, that San Francisco is built upon, wherever we hail from, when the gospel breaks in, it is going to mess with the idols that that city is built upon. Some people, as a result of the gospel, are going to be set free, and then others are going to be very upset that people are getting set free. Because freedom for one person means a loss of money or power for somebody else. Somebody else had, had influence over you, had power over you, gained in some way from you being enslaved by you being held captive. And so your freedom, it's, it's great news for you, but uh, it's terrible news for them. It makes them angry, it makes them afraid, it brings out all kinds of reactions. So um, sometimes, um, sometimes the message we hear in church is, you know, follow Jesus and everything in your life is going to get better or easier. And I, I just want to call that out and say it's probably not true at all. Um, what if, what if your life gets harder? What if, what if we experience a relapse 
in our recovery? What, what if all of a sudden we experience resistance from other people that we can see, even just things that, resistance that we can sense all around us where we're like, where is this coming from? This is so, this is so weird. But you, you trace it back and, and, it, and you start to go, wait a second, the moment that Jesus started to gain ground in my life and, and bring freedom, that's kind of when I started to experience this resistance. Interesting. Our freedom might be good news for us, but I promise you it is bad news for somebody else or something else. Whether that someone is our own brokenness and things that where we're, we're God's going to work on things in us, or uh, resistance comes from people or spiritual forces that are at work in the world, other people, other spiritual forces, other entities, when they lose power over us as we're becoming free, you're going to experience resistance. And maybe this helps you uh, with some resistance that you've been experiencing lately. Uh, maybe these are some gospel glasses that you need to put on and go, oh, that's what's going on. That's why that, that weird thing happened. Um, let's talk about this a little bit. Uh, maybe it might be good to articulate some of this. Um, let's, let's get together with two or three people. Um, when and how, maybe lately or in the past, have you experienced resistance um, when it came to your newfound freedom in Christ? All right, I wanted to give you guys plenty of time with that one because uh, that, that could be a really helpful conversation uh, to have just to kind of identify, man, yeah, there's some funky stuff that I've been dealing with. Um, so hopefully that puts things in a new helpful light. So Paul being who he is, he can't help himself, and uh, he continues to stir up trouble uh, wherever he goes as the good news of Jesus uh, sets people free from their false gods. And so two years later, Paul finds himself imprisoned uh, for being a troublemaker, and he lives in jail for five years, uh, first in Caesarea and then in Rome. And so it's from Rome in 62 AD that Paul writes this letter to the Ephesians. And just keeping that in mind and then looking at the text of what we, we just wrote, this, this is a letter that comes from prison. Um, you see everything that Paul writes about, how we've been blessed and this amazing perspective that we have. It's not the kind of letter that I would write from prison, if I'm being honest, and probably you too. So I, clearly Paul sees some things that we, we don't see. And I, I, I want to have whatever he's having because, wow, I don't think I would write that from jail. So here's the thing. In Ephesians 3 and 4, uh, Paul writes, For this reason I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the sake of you, and he says again, as a prisoner for the Lord then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you've received. Notice how Paul describes his situation. He's not a prisoner of Caesar. He's not a prisoner of the state. He says, I'm a prisoner of Christ Jesus. That is an alternative reading of reality. So Paul, Ephesus, Paul and Ephesus, now Paul's opening greeting. How does Paul set the stage for us to experience this alternative take on reality, a reality where we can see everything through the lens of Jesus himself. First of all, Paul reminds the, them, and he reminds us who they are, who we are. He calls us God's holy people, or saints. Now, saints does not mean perfect, and uh, it means set apart. You don't need to be Ned Flanders, don't need to be don't need to be perfect like that guy, but I love, I love that guy. His character arc in The Simpsons, uh, where it goes, is, is pretty great if you haven't experienced it yet. But um, saints does not mean perfect. It means those who've been claimed by God for God's purposes in the world. Paul reminds us that God has grabbed hold of us, and he sets us apart 
to be part of his redemptive work in the world. If you and I live from this alternative reality, we can know that God has claimed us to be a part of what he wants to do in the world. He has set us apart for his redemptive purposes. Paul, I got a baby pterodactyl over there. That's Johnny, my little guy there. Uh, Paul, uh, Paul reminds uh, them and us what we've received. Grace and peace, he says. Uh, grace to you, or charis, that was the normal greeting in the Roman Empire. And then peace to you, or shalom, was the normal greeting in Jewish circles. So try saying, first of all, try saying charis. And then try saying shalom. Well done. So um, some of us speak more than one language in this room. Um, we hail from other countries or other cultures. Um, what's, a common, what's a common greeting from your culture? Just call it out. What, what would be, in it? I'd love to hear some other languages. What's, how would you greet somebody in your culture? Okay, hear it? Anyang. Hola. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Mina, I didn't know you were Spanish. <laughs> I had you pegged all wrong. Wow. I need to get my... <laughs> yeah, others? Yes. Como esta? Yes. Bien, y tú? Oh, in, in Tagalog. Say it again, let me hear it. Oh, totally different than what I said. Okay, cool. In Tagalog, okay. Any other ones? Howdy. <laughs> Beautiful. <laughs> from America. All right. Yeah. You're from Texas, which is, that's a different country. It is. Yeah, it's landlocked, but it's a, it's a different place. So grace and peace, it's a multicultural greeting for a multicultural people that God's forming. And, and what is Paul speaking over us? First of all, grace. Grace is God's unmerited, unearned favor. Grace is the only reason that I can stand before you today. Grace is the only reason that the worship band could sing from here today. It's not because we're so awesome. It's not because we, we have it better than other people. We've got it all figured out. This is, this is unmerited. There's nothing I could do to, to merit this. This is unearned. There's nothing I could do to earn this. It's a gift. Paul tells us in Romans, he says, there's, there's no one who's righteous, not even one. There's nobody who understands there's no one who seeks God. There's no one who does good, not even one. That's why if you're here today, loving God, worshiping God, wanting to connect with God, that's a miracle of grace that you're here today, wanting that. Grace means that it's impossible for us to think that we're better than other people because grace just totally levels the playing field and we go, yeah, if I'm here, it's a gift. If, if you're here, it's a gift. I'm not here because I'm so awesome. None of us have clean hands. None of us are enlightened. None of us are here because we've been just seeking God from day one and doing what's right from day one. Unless the God of grace seeks us out, none of us are gonna be found. Unless the God of grace gives us grace, none of us are gonna have peace. But because of the grace from God, we've got peace with God. And so Paul says, grace and peace to you. He can't say it enough. Peace is, is its well-being, its soundness, its wholeness, its harmony with God, with yourself, with creation, with others. It's a beautiful thing to speak over people. If you and I live from this alternative reality, then we're going to see that God has poured out his grace and peace. There's a lot more going on within us and with, uh, when, when, with other people because of God's grace and peace. 
Paul reminds them then, he says, now I want to tell you who the God of the gospel is before I tell you any more. And he says, God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. God our Father. I don't know where you're at when when you think about the word dad or daddy or father. Uh, some of us had a great dad, some of us had a terrible dad, some of us dad did as best as he could, some of us dad is not in the picture at all. Our father, though, Paul wants us to know, knows us and loves us as his daughters and his sons. He wants to reclaim this, this relationship and any brokenness and pain that comes with that. Some of us live as if we're God's employee, but, but we're not. We're his kids. Fundamentally, at the core of who we are, God says, I want, I want you to know me as your dad because I know you as my daughter. I know you as my son. Uh, Brennan, Manning, Brennan Manning puts it like this. He says, we, we unwittingly project onto God our own attitudes and feelings towards ourselves, but we can't assume that he feels about us the way we feel about ourselves unless we love ourselves compassionately and intensely and freely. That's the heart of the Father for you and me. And, and my prayer is for us that in the coming weeks, we'd be able to receive our identity as beloved children of the Father, his sons and daughters. Anywhere that this relationship has brokenness and pain, that we go, God, uh, would you heal this relationship? Would you heal this understanding of, of who I am? Could, could I see myself through your eyes as, as your kid? Could I no longer be like your employee or your servant, but like your daughter, your son? That would just be the best thing. But God, you have to open my eyes to that. You have to heal things and, and remove things that are standing in the way. God is our Father in Jesus and, and because of Jesus. And that's the lens he wants to see uh, th- this through. And then he says, the Lord, Jesus Christ, Lord. Paul grew up as a Jew saying the daily prayer called the Shema. Try saying that, the Shema. Shema. Uh, Shema, means, uh, Shema means hear, means understand, means listen up. Um, and it's where you say, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Here's the thing, though. After his encounter with the risen Jesus, Paul reframes our understanding of the Shema. Paul wants us to understand what he came to understand, which, yes, he says God is one, but not one in the sense that God is alone, not in the sense that God is solitary. God is one, Paul wants us to know, in that God is united. God is interconnected. God is a relationship, a community that is Father and Son and Spirit. And Jesus is a part of that community, and Jesus invites us into that community. That's our inheritance. That's what's offered to us. Dallas Willard puts it this way. He says, it's being included in the eternal life of God that heals all wounds and allows us to stop demanding satisfaction. What else matters of a personal nature once it's clear that you've been included? God has so much life and truth to speak over us in these coming weeks. I'm really looking forward to it. Let's allow God to show us what he's done through Jesus. Let's allow God to tell us who we are and to reframe so many things in our reality. I I hope that we could just receive this and just let this wash over us. I want to invite up the worship team and uh, where we can just respond to God through song, anything that he's been saying to us. But, But just before we worship God through song, let's just take a minute. We talked about a whole lot of things. What was it that God was saying, especially for you and where you're at? Um, maybe, maybe a couple things here, uh, possibly, that God was saying to you. What, what did you need to hear from God? Did you need to hear that the gospel can speak to your urban reality? 
did, did you need to know that uh, life might get harder when you pursue freedom in Christ? Did you need to know that you're a saint and you're set apart for God's purposes? Maybe you needed to know that because of grace from God, I have peace with God. Or maybe I'm a beloved child of God. I'm included in God's community. 